This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Visit bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome in, everyone. Thank you for listening to the 81st ever episode of the Missouri Sports Podcast, brought to you by 106 Apparel and recording from the Revel Advertising Studio in beautiful Springfield, Missouri. I'm one of your hosts, Cameron Albert, alongside my friend and fellow Mizzou fan, Kyle DeVries. How are you doing today, Kyle? (laughs) I'm doing great, Cameron. Uh, Pretty interesting uh, circumstances we have here. We thought last week was weird. It has gotten weirder, So, but I'm, I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Uh, last week, was that just a week, basically a week ago that we recorded with producer Cameron just sitting right outside the room? Yeah. It just feels like an eternity. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was talking to my wife about that. And like today's Friday. Yesterday was Thursday, obviously. A week ago yesterday, the NCAA tournament was canceled. And yeah. that feels like a month ago. Yeah. The games were supposed to start yesterday. And so that was very... That was very sad yes. uh, to, uh, I don't know, know that was supposed to be happening. Yeah, but it's been a uh, it's been a weird couple of weeks. I I uh, sent out a tweet um, to our followers, just kind of wanting to get a grasp on who's still working and and how has this whole situation affected your your job or your hours? And you know, if you're if you're not working, what are you doing? And so it got a pretty mixed bag. Uh, results, you know, some people said they were quarantining and were watching a lot of Netflix, and others said they were working normal hours, and uh, some were working weird hours. So it was really kind of all over the board. But it was kind of cool to hear from some of you guys. And you know, sometimes it's uh, I just forget that all you guys are just normal people out there, and and everybody has a role in society. And um, a lot of you guys have really cool jobs and uh, important jobs. So that was really cool to to hear from everybody. Yeah, and it was just kind of cool to see a different, uh, I don't know, something different. I mean, we get so caught up in what we're doing every day and we just, you know, the world starts to just revolve around our um, schedules and stuff. And I don't know, there's, yeah, there's just a lot of people out there that are going through all sorts of different things with their jobs, with their families and everything. So, yeah. Yep. Um, uh, producer Cameron sent me a note that I actually said, I think I said we were recording from the Revel Advertising Studio, um, <laughs> which we were obviously not. Uh, I'm at my house. Uh, shout out to my wife for putting together this nice area for me to record, complete with uh, shrubbery. Nice. I got, uh, I got our guys behind us there, Conzo, uh, looking over me. So Nice. I well, I, I, I have this yeah. uh, poster of Mizzou football behind me that was already there uh, because I'm a big Mizzou fan. So, uh, yeah, I'll you know, be honest. Who's also watching got... over you. Yes. Oh, Drew Locke. Hello, Drew. Lock. Drew. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, man, of course. Thank you, Drew, for being and, here. Yeah, it's it's really it's really good to have you here. And yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, couldn't ask for more, really. Um, I have a lot of Mizzou posters, but unfortunately, we. I've been told we don't have a great place to put them in the house uh, as far as <laughs> display. So. By the uh, interior designer. Yeah, in maybe house. one day. Maybe one day we'll be able to. I'll have. I'll have a space for them all. Yeah. Well, for those of you who are listening audio only, which I'm assuming is a decent chunk of you guys, we uh, obviously have decided to 
err on the side of caution and not uh, meet up in person this week. So we are not at the Revel Advertising Studio. Uh, we are at our homes and we are recording via Skype call. I'm wearing my Xbox headset to uh, <laughs> to record this podcast. So um, pretty janky little setup, but I think we'll be able to make it work for the foreseeable future. I don't think it's janky at all. I think it's, I would call it, frankly, an, an epic gamer moment because uh, I've True. got my my gaming headset on as well. And yeah, I'm, I'm honestly proud of us. We'll probably start bringing them to the studio and just using them because it's working really well so far. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, if you notice a little dip in quality, bear with us. We're, we're trying something new. Um, will you ready to talk about uh, Mizzou uh, happenings? I'm ready. Seems kind of weird um, that we actually have news that's happened, but uh, there really has been some, some stuff going on. But... Um, you know, we have. There's been a decent amount of, of football and basketball recruiting still kind of going on because coaches can still communicate with people. They can obviously can't meet up, uh, but can still have communication. Um, and so, one thing I wanted to talk about was uh, a new football commit that we got recently, and that is Daniel Hawthorne. He is a long snapper who is from Louisiana, and he was uh, previously committed to LSU and then flipped over to Mizzou. So, plucked him from the home state. From the uh, national is, champions. From the from the defending national champions. So that that is uh, definitely something to be proud of. Um, you know, Mizzou's special teams um, haven't been great in the last couple of years, um, and so having a having a staple guy that is gonna that we can rely on there is gonna be really important. And uh, that'll be so nice to not have to worry about the punt. You know, going the the punt going over the punter's head and and stuff like that, uh, which is all things we have seen um, and would like to not see anymore. <laughs> so, uh, Daniel, welcome uh, to Mizzou. Uh, we're happy to uh, have you on board. Looking forward to seeing you in a Mizzou uniform. Uh, also, he has done some recruiting for some other players in the class, so uh, obviously that's great to see. He's a great uh, Twitter follower. Uh, tw- Twitter follow if you haven't uh, done that already. I'll, I'll give him a little plug right here. Let's see if I can find his uh, Twitter handle. And a listener of ours, we found out. So, yeah, maybe uh, if maybe if we play our cards right, we could get him to uh, maybe do an interview or something sometime. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, his Twitter handle is dhawthorne01 on Twitter. So go ahead and give him a follow. That'll be. Uh, Great for you guys to to follow along with because he is uh, tweeting other recruits and showing a lot of support for Mizzou. So it's obviously uh, great to see. Yeah, you mentioned the special team struggles in recent years, and it's just like definitely a place where you just can't afford huge mistakes. And I don't know, just, yeah, shoring up that and uh, maybe a little change of direction with the new coaching staff. I am looking forward to hopefully improvements uh, next season. For sure. I guess switching over to basketball, um, there's been a little bit of recruiting news, which has been a little sparse over the last few months. So uh, it's been good to uh, get a little bit of news on that front. Um, It's now that time of year where Mizzou is going to be looking for, or really any school is going to be looking for some uh, spring additions, whether that be uh, grad transfers or just normal transfers that may have to sit out a year, but a uh, grad transfer that Mizzou has come into contact with is Amari Hardy from UNLV. 
and he would be a grad transfer, so he would be immediately eligible. Um, he averaged 15 points per game last year, so obviously there's pretty high demand for him, so um, who knows if he'll end up at Mizzou or not, but definitely I think every every school in the country is probably looking to find a, uh, a um, guard who can score <laughs> for sure. Yeah, he played 84% of minutes for UNLV this past season. Um, kind of a, looks like kind of a combo guard. Um, 33% from three on 189 attempts. And gets to the free throw line, high assist rate, low turnover rate. So definitely all sorts of things that we're looking for for Mizzou. And uh, he's originally from Detroit, Michigan. So uh, we know that... Mizzou coaching staff has ties there, so maybe they can rely on that a little bit. And as far as I know, as far as I've seen anyway, that's the only transfer of any kind that um, Mizzou has been attached to uh, in the news. There may have been one other one, but um, looking through tweets and stuff, that's the only one I can find. There have been some big-name transfers. I wanted to know what you thought about basically the entire, uh, just about the entire uh, Wichita Wichita State State team. Yeah, transferring. Yeah, it's bizarre. Um, you know, they they weren't great this year. They were decent. Uh, I think they had a shot at the NCAA tournament. They were probably on the bubble, uh, maybe on the wrong side of the bubble. But uh, it's it's interesting to see a, a mass exodus from a team that's not terrible, um, or a team you know that's really really good might have some guys that you know aren't getting much playing time that want to leave. I don't obviously know. I know nothing about uh, any of these players or the situation at all. But I know Greg Marshall is an intense coach. He's a great coach, but he's very intense. And uh, I could see there being some dissonance between uh, that style of coach and players. So I don't know if it's if there was some internal stuff going on. I have no idea. But uh, definitely, I think there's like at least six or seven guys that are transferring from Wichita State, which is obviously like half the roster. Yeah, and with a situation like that, I th- and this is... I don't know. I'm kind of speaking on something I don't really know that much about, but I could see just, you know, with relationships and personalities, if you have a coach like that, I could see that maybe snowballing, you know, if there, if just several players kind of are on the same page and that's not the same page as the head coach, then I could see it kind of snowballing and I can, you compare it to other coaches and, you know, you hear about, well, just to compare it to Conzo, I think, you know, there's an alternate universe where when Mario McKinney transferred, then, you know, that could snowball. And obviously we just entered the off season. A lot can happen, but you know, if that kind of spread around the entire freshman class or something, kind of like it did under Kim Anderson, where just the players just are not on the same page with the head coach. And you see, you know, entire recruiting classes just leave. And that seems like kind of what the deal is at Wichita state. Yeah, I'm sure that's the case. I mean, there might have been some kind of incident. Obviously, again, this is speculation, but there could have been some kind of incident where, you know, maybe a coach and a player got into it and a lot of the players were on the other player's side. And, you know, it could be a million different things, but um, there's so many relational type things that go on behind closed doors that fans never know about or see um, or anything like that. So um, it might just be a lot of guys looking to make a move for nothing relational. I don't know. Yeah. It, it could be anything, but it that could is... be all yeah. Separate basketball reasons. <clears throat> yeah. Um, you want to talk about the new offers that Mizzou went sent out? 
basketball? Yeah, a um, couple new offers that came out late last night, actually. Uh, the first one was Taurus Reed Jr. He's the big man at Chaminade. He's a 2022 recruit. Um, the other one is Aiden Shaw, who is a, f- a four-star small forward from Blue Valley, Kansas. So it looks like Conzo uh, and company are getting a early start on the 2022 guys. Um, that I mean, every class is big, but uh, you know, a lot of local guys. Um, and I think that I think there are potentially other guys in that class that are local that that could end up getting a look from Mizzou as well. Uh, but those are definitely two notable guys for sure that we'll be talking about for a long time. Yeah, I mean, it's it seems like a long ways away, but that's. I mean, every recruiting class started at this point, so for sure, these are the names to keep an eye on. And man, it's a long journey ahead, but it just is a—it's a cycle. I mean, you, you talk about it as a recruiting cycle, and starting a new one with 2022 guys. Um, the last domino in the 2020 recruiting cycle for more than just Missouri is Josh Christopher. And perhaps maybe he might be announcing his decision this weekend. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not really sure what's going to happen there. Uh, He posted something kind of cryptic on Twitter that the coronavirus stuff was kind of like destroying the hype a little bit or something. Putting a little damper on it, yeah. Yeah, so he might just go ahead and and announce this weekend. I'm I'm not sure what is going to happen. He might just drop his announcement at any time or maybe he'll end up waiting till April like he originally planned i i don't know yeah but uh we still kind of the general consensus is that michigan is probably the team to beat still mm-hmm. um obviously he's all done with his visits and everything you know every indication that he makes is that he on, that he still doesn't know um if he's prepared to make a decision this or to announce his decision this weekend then obviously that's not true yeah and uh you know that's just part of recruiting though mm-hmm um, any other news items you want to bring out? I think that's uh, all the news I had for now. Um, I'm sure there's more out there that we forget because that seems to always happen. But uh, I, I think that's most of the main football and basketball stuff going on right now. I would agree. Um, the main topic of this episode is going to be just a season recap for the basketball team. And um, I guess let's kick it off. I'll kick it off with talking about our preview episode, which was episode 62. Uh, we previewed the season, uh, went game by game on the schedule, and we didn't reconcile our picks like across the SEC. We didn't pick every SEC game. We just picked Mizzou's schedule. And we knew that we were going to do more research on these teams as they actually came up on the schedule. So this was just kind of a rough idea of what we thought um, the season might look like. Kyle, you predicted a 19 and 12 record, nine and nine in conference play. I had them one win better, uh, 20 and 11, but also nine and nine in conference play. And Missouri, in reality, was 15 and 16, uh, seven and 11 in conference play. Do you think that our predictions are justified based on injuries, or do you think we were still a little high on them, even if everybody was healthy? I think we were a little bit high on them. Um, and obviously we'll get into all the details of, of what happened with this season in a little bit, but um, I still think that even though we had some injuries um, that allowed guys to kind of step up into new roles and stuff like that, I'm not sure that a healthy Mark Smith means five extra wins. Um, or I guess 
Tillman was injured too, but um, maybe two in conference play though. We were only two games off with, with our predictions in conference play. But I also, I guess, think that if Mark Smith and Jeremiah Tillman are are healthy the whole season, Xavier Penson probably doesn't have the uh, outbreak that he yeah. that he ended up having, yeah, which ended up being probably the most positive thing of the entire season, at least one of the most positive stories of the season. Yeah, I would say so. Um, obviously, we know that uh, Missouri finished 10th in the SEC. Uh, that was due in large part to a tiebreaker with Arkansas. Um, Arkansas was also 7-11, and 11, but Mizzou having beaten Auburn uh, pushed them over the top to get the 10th spot. So they had a bye in the uh, SEC tournament that did not happen. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating to... Uh... I guess we'll never know what would have happened in that third matchup with A&M. Would have been really great to get another shot at beating them for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to imagine Missouri losing to them three times in one season. But um, as I say that, it pops into my head that uh, in 2012, uh, Missouri beat Baylor, who was like a top 10 team all season, beat Baylor three times, home and away, and then again in the the, uh, Big 12 tournament championship. Yeah, really didn't have much trouble with Baylor at all, and they were like a top ten team yeah. all year. So bizarre. Uh, maybe A and M's the same way, but with uh, like one hundred ish Ken Palm teams. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's just uh, it's matchup based, you know. And if you think about Mizzou's team that year, um, you know, I don't know, I don't remember a whole lot specifically about Baylor's team, but I kind of feel like Mizzou was just a little bit better version of kind of what Baylor had, and uh, you know. If you think about the the bad matchups for Mizzou that year it was Kansas State. You know, they, Kansas State had a lot of uh, really strong post players that just kind of overpowered us, and we ended up losing to Kansas State both times we played them in the regular season that year. So, and Kansas State was like a totally average team, like middle of the road Big Twelve team. So, um, so much goes into just matchups that you run matchups into. Matchups and play style, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Missouri finished the season 97th in Ken Palm, uh, 150th on offense, 71st on defense. In SEC play, they were 12th on offense and 9th on defense. Um, that 9th on defense was helped out a lot by the final game against Alabama, where they just clamped down on a team that had been one of the very best offenses um, in the SEC and like, you know, pretty high up in the national rankings as well. Yeah, they had them like 30 or 40 points under their like season average yeah. for points scored. That was unbelievable. Um, definitely, um, you know, there were a few encouraging things that happened this season. Obviously, we named one, and that was Xavier Penson. But I, I, I do think that, you know, we kind of tr- were trending upward as the season came to a close. Seems like we played some of our best basketball um, the second, you know, the last 25 to 30% of the season, probably. Yeah, I would agree. Um Looking back at our predictions a little bit, I want to just mention a few things that we actually said in that preview episode. Uh, Kyle, you were talking about the what we thought, what you thought the floor was for this uh, this team this year, and you said, "quote uh, It's possible they finish 12th or 13th in the SEC. Maybe they have an injury. They dealt with that last year with Mark Smith and Pickett towards the end of the year. Maybe Tillman goes down. You know, obviously, I don't want to think about that." And uh, you said a healthy floor would be about 11th in the SEC. And I think they, 
kind of outplayed those expectations a little bit because they were not healthy and still finished 10th. But, I mean, for all purposes, 11th was basically the same thing record-wise. So I thought that was interesting that you specifically mentioned uh, maybe Tillman goes down. You know, obviously, I don't want to think about that. And then he missed a considerable amount of time. Yeah, I do have to say that it probably wasn't as terrible uh, as we probably thought it could be before the season. Uh, you know, unfortunately, Tillman probably just wasn't as effective as we expected him to be coming into the year. So his injury wasn't quite as devastating, but definitely didn't help either. Yeah, I would agree. And you said um, the ceiling uh, for this team was maybe third or fourth in the SEC um, and you said maybe like something like 11 wins. And if they had gotten 11 wins, they would have been tied for fourth. So um, you were pretty right on there. And um, again, maybe that was a little bit of overconfidence based on early analytics and um, some things like that. But that wasn't far off. You know, th- them still winning seven games isn't far off from a, from a ceiling of 11 wins. Yeah, I don't think it's crazy at all to, you know, for, uh, at that point in time for us to think that Missouri could have done that well. Um, I think they started off as like a top 15 team on Bart Torvik, oh, that, yeah. that like that uh, predictive metric, which obviously we thought what might've been a little bit ridiculous, but um, there was reason to believe that that could happen, that Missouri yeah. could have a really, really solid season. And I think that same, some of those same reasons are why, you know, the same thing could happen next year. I think that Missouri could, you know, be top 25 in some of those predictive metrics. Um, assuming we hang on to the core of this team. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, When I was talking about, in the preview episode, when I was talking about, you know, what could go wrong, I said, quote, them losing a non-conference game where they're favored at home should be considered a red flag, and maybe they're looking at closer to a season like last year with 15 wins than the 20 we think they're capable of. And obviously the game that jumps out is Charleston Southern. And... We said as, as soon as that game went final, you knew that's the type of game that keeps you out of the um, NCAA tournament, and that is obviously a red flag and um, makes it look like a team that's going to win 15 games, and that's exactly what they did. Yeah, and I guess I'll let you get back to what you were saying here in a second, but I guess just a quick note on what that makes me think of is just the highs and lows that we went through this season. Um, that being one of the lowest of lows of any season I can possibly think of. I mean, even I think that we talked about that being statistically a worse loss than any loss that we had in the Kim Anderson era, uh, which is just mind blowing to think that that, that that happened this year, considering we had wins over Florida and Auburn and yeah. uh, just that the valleys and the peaks were the range was just immense. Yeah, and I actually saw, um, I think Rockham Nation was tweeting it out or something, that uh, there was a an analytic metric that was showing um, the... It was comparing different teams, and it was showing their consistency and, like, um, the... Incons- it was basically four quadrants, and it had uh, consistently good, consistently bad, inconsistently good, and inconsistently bad. And Mizzou was, like all the way in the, like the top corner of inconsistently good. And basically it showed that they, you know, they could play with just about anybody and, um, but they were just so inconsistent that they would drop games like Charleston Southern. Yeah. 
that definitely sums up how it felt as a fan just following along for the ride as well. It's just all over the place. Yeah. Um, there were, it's like it kind of started to pick up on there, just on them being unpredictable to the fact where it's like, I, I remember before the Auburn game, I wasn't going to be surprised if they somehow found a way to win. You know, it was just like, I'm prepared for anything to happen in any game. Um, yeah, let me get back to that Auburn game in just a sec. But the uh, a few of the games that we picked uh, that I thought I would uh, make note of was uh, I picked them to lose against Xavier and you picked them to win. Um, obviously, we both picked them to win against Charleston Southern. But in the uh, preseason tournament, I had them winning that. And that was prob- that looking at both of our schedules here, that was the most uh, foolish prediction I would say that I can find on here. Um, You were a little bit more accurate. I mean, obviously they lost both games in reality. You had them losing the first game and winning uh, the second one against Stanford. And then uh, we both picked losses against Florida. We both picked wins in the first, uh, in the second game of the SEC season against Tennessee. Uh, We both picked wins in both the A&M games. I, for some reason, picked a win against Auburn. I honestly can't tell you why I did that. <laughs> but then we both finished the season 6-0, and uh, predicting all of those games correctly. Wow. So a lot of the season went kind of like we expected. Obviously, mm-hmm. preseason tournaments are really hard to predict. Uh, Charleston Southern, nobody was going to ever predict that. And then I would basically say the same about Florida. And for some reason, I picked them to beat Auburn. I don't really know why. Yeah. Um, you know, the Tennessee game is obviously one we both predicted to win uh, preseason, and that's a game Missouri probably should have won. Uh, Tennessee was probably worse than we thought they were going to be uh, before the season started, so that ended up looking like pretty good prediction um, at the time of that game, but just it was a game they, they didn't win that they I think they should have at yeah. home. Yeah, I completely agree, and then also the home game against Texas A&M was yeah. one that we both had that down as a win. I mean, that was, that was, I think, it may have ended up as Missouri's only quadrant three loss. I'd have to double check that, but I think that's the case. Um, obviously, they had a quadrant four loss against Charleston Southern, which is inexcusable, but then uh, they were just two winnable games away from being undefeated in quadrant three and four, um, which would have helped a uh, resume situation if that had been necessary mm-hmm. um let's see here before we kind of go down and talk about the roster a little bit i want to mention um looking back at our three on three uh teams that we picked uh in the preseason during that uh, preview episode um that's something that we've done twice now is just kind of had a little fun playing, uh, picking a three on three team as if they were going to play like NBA street type basketball, basically, or NBA jam. If you want that, uh, my team was all Smiths, Drew Smith, Mark Smith, Mitchell Smith, uh, Kyle, your team was Jeremiah Tillman, who you got with the first overall pick, uh, Xavier Pinson and Javon Pickett. Um, I just thought we could look at that and see, you know, that's kind of a reflection of how we thought these players would play this year. 
and if there's anything that kind of changed or if we would choose anything differently. Obviously, I tried to have a little fun with it and pick all the Smiths, but looking back on it, outside of Mark Smith's injury, I'm really happy with my squad. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, obviously, Drew Smith was probably, you said that was your first pick. Yeah. Um, I, I think if we did this tournament, you know, after the season was over, or, or did this this fantasy draft or whatever, yeah. um, we I would say uh, Drew Smith and Xavier Pinson would have gone 1-2, and that ended up kind of being, you know, we n- neither one of us had both those guys. So right. um, it was definitely pretty even in that way, looking back. Um, I, I think that I knew Xavier Pinson was going to kind of have a, have a good season. I think that I, I knew that he would uh, improve, and but I definitely did not see that kind of production that he had in the second half of the season coming. That was beyond my expectations, obviously. Yeah, I mean, um, unless you have anything else you want to say about the three-on-three, three, uh, Mitchell Smith was... A uh, pleasant surprise, but let's uh, just kind of work our way into just talking about the individual players that we want to kind of spotlight. Um, we've mentioned Xavier Pinson a couple times now. Obviously, the SEC season that he had, and it wasn't even the full SEC season. It was basically the last half of it where he just got a ton of minutes and um, basically Missouri was running two point guards with him and Drew Smith as much as possible. And he was getting to the basket, getting fouled, making threes, basically just doing everything you want. He was distributing everything you want out of a scoring guard and helped Missouri. I think they're probably the record's probably two wins better than they would have been if he was just, you know, on the bench kind of playing the, the way he had the rest of the season. Yeah. He was, he was definitely in attack mode, like 100% of the time in some of those uh, games in the second half of the season. And there was that one stretch with like four or five games where he seriously averaged like 25 points a game or something. It was just unreal. Some of the production that he was putting together. And yeah, I think it was really that, that first game against Arkansas that I think it was kind of his, his breakout point for sure. Yeah. That Arkansas game, he had 24 points. He played 41 minutes in that obviously overtime game, Uh, 41 minutes. He had, 24 points and then two games later 28 against Auburn and then 32 against Ole Miss uh he was Kempom MVP in all three of those games uh two of them he was at the free throw line um more than 10 times uh he was making threes in the miss in the Ole Miss game he was four for four from three and obviously offensive rating off the charts uh, during that stretch and you just see the minutes uptick I mean starting with that Arkansas game the he played just 20 minutes against Vanderbilt but we didn't really need him much and then the next lowest is 27 where up until that point he had hit 27 minutes one time in like the first 20 games of the season or so yeah he d- definitely the, the production of in the last 20, 30% of the season for sure was probably more productive than I thought that he might be at any point in his career at Missouri. And I knew that he had a high ceiling. So that's definitely yeah. uh, saying something. And I, I think that, you know, it was impressive that he was able to do it with some consistency for sure. Um, it wasn't just one game here and there. It was definitely just 
at one point when he realized, okay, this is my role now that you know certain players are out with injuries. I'm capable of this. I'm gonna be. I'm. This is how I'm gonna play from here on out. And I think that's uh, that's what he did. Yeah, I mean, he just looked so confident. I think that was that was the main thing that I saw was just his confidence was off the charts. Um, as we go through the roster here a little bit, let's touch on a few players that uh, we won't have to spend too much time talking about. Um, but I did want to mention Mario McKinney. Um, so far, um, you know, one of the few uh, transfers that, have, that has occurred under Conzo Martin. Um, it seems like about one a year is what we're is what we're we've been experiencing since he took over, uh, which is quite a bit better than what we were seeing under Kim Anderson. But um, when you have a guy that you know we were following since his freshman year in high school, uh, Missouri kid, St. Louis kid. Um, makes the decision to play for the home state team and then for it to not work out. It's obviously disappointing and you never know what goes on behind the scenes. We talked that about that a little bit earlier with Wichita state, but I still looking back on it now that it, that decision or that announcement is, you know, a few months behind us. I'm just kind of disappointed that they weren't able to make it work and that we weren't going to see, you know, him flourish in any kind of role at Missouri. Yeah, you're right. Especially with everything you said. I mean, just that how long we followed him in high school and being the home state kid, you definitely is a guy you root for maybe more so than the the typical recruit. So it is disappointing. Um, but again, kind of like we talked about with uh, Wichita State and Greg Marshall earlier, um, sometimes there's just dissonance in between uh, personalities. And, you know, I think that after – you know, in retrospect, looking back at the situation, it's pretty easy to see where Mario McKinney and Conzo Barton might have, you know, personality dissonance. And um, sometimes it's just not going to work out. And maybe the expectation is a lot different than reality. And I think that was probably the case here. Yeah, I remember um, I went to the Chicago State game um, in Columbia, and that was a blowout. And he got into the game fairly early in the second half. And the crowd basically gave him a standing ovation just for getting subbed into the game. Mm -hmm. And I was with my dad and my two little brothers. And I said to my dad, that's, I feel like the crowd, obviously they knew who he was. Um, and knew that it, it honestly seemed like the crowd knew that he probably needed some extra cheers because he wasn't playing as much as maybe he thought. And that's prop that may be me looking into it a little bit too much, but the crowd cheered for a you know a freshman getting minutes more than i would expect basically and um he showed off his athleticism in that game and the fans were just really give, showing him some love and that should have been a thing that we saw you know a dozen times next year and then 20 times a piece for the next for the two seasons after that when he was an upperclassman and you know kind of finding his role but um, now he's at Logan, uh, something like Logan College um, in yeah. Illinois, and uh, is probably going to play there the entire next season, and then try to come back to Division One um, the season after that. Yep, uh, definitely a name that Missouri fans recognize um, from his uh, uh, uncle. What what would be the relation here? I think it was cousin. Uh, cousin, think... yeah, you're right, you're right. 
Um, definitely a, a last name that is recognizable to Missouri fans. Um, Mario, a guy who's super athletic, um, probably just needed to work on you know his well-rounded uh, you know game. Some of the other aspects of the game just probably weren't quite there yet to get the playing time he probably thought he deserved. Uh, but I think that he's capable of uh, bettering some of those other skills that he needs to work on, and uh, maybe he'll uh, make a, a good return to a, a D1 program. Yeah, I'll definitely be rooting for him wherever he goes, unless it's, uh, you know, like the unthinkable, but we won't talk about that. I don't think so. Um, let's talk about, briefly, Axel Okongo. Um, still kind of a head-scratcher for me. Like, obviously, I mean, no respect to him as a basketball player, as a person, anything. No it respect. Just, <laughs> I mean, no disrespect to him. Uh, it just seems like a weird fit. I mean, yeah. I just don't quite understand. And also, there, you know, Conzo talked about trying to get him a second year of eligibility. I don't know whatever came of that. They got it. They pretty did. sure. Okay. So that was before I mean, the season started. I'm pretty sure they got him a second year of eligibility. They really made that like a point of emphasis uh, to do that. So. And obviously, we had never seen him play before at that point. So it's like, okay, great. If Kondo's on board with this, then so am I. At least that's how I felt. Yeah. But his just everything about his his recruitment, I mean, there really wasn't any recruitment that was public knowledge. I mean, it was just all of a sudden he was committed. And I was like, okay, who's this dude? Um, but again, we just kind of trusted that, that, that you know there was a legitimate role for him that he was going to be filling um, from the get-go. That never happened. Uh, we saw him at kind of the open practice uh, before the season started. And, you know, we're definitely not college basketball scouts um, in any way, but it was not, um, it was very apparent that he was not ready to make a difference in really any way um, yeah. this season. And I agree, it just doesn't make sense um, to me why he was added to the team and especially why they fought for that second year of eligibility. I, I really don't know. Yeah, and it would make more sense to me if he was like a if if he had a if he was a freshman and he, this was going to be his you know redshirt freshman year and you know he had so much time to develop, but we don't have that at all. He's got this off season and then one more year of eligibility and just that that part of it to me is maybe what makes the least sense. Um, he actually saw some meaningful minutes against uh, Texas A and M and. Um, West Virginia, I believe. I think where... his first career minutes were at Kentucky. Yeah, that's correct. And I think he was on the floor like at the same time as Mario McKinney for his like first minutes. And uh, Mario, obviously, we talked about his playing time uh, issues. So this was two guys that we had not seen much of, and they were uh, thrown out there in the first SEC game of the season. So yeah, yeah. Um, was that Mario's last Mizzou game? I don't know. I'd have to look. I can probably find that out. Yeah, don't. In the don't meantime. Worry about it. I'm going to worry a lot about it. In the meantime, uh, you want to talk about Parker Brown, a guy who kind of, at least for me, surprised me with uh, how ready, kind of flip side of Okongo, he seemed more ready to contribute than I was expecting. Yeah, uh, Parker Brown's a guy that um, chose Mizzou over some pretty decent options. Uh, Whenever he came to Mizzou, he redshirted his freshman year. yeah, he didn't play much um, at the beginning of the year, but you know we'd heard a lot about um, his potential and his athleticism. And yeah, then he kind of started to get some playing time in the SEC portion of the season. And honestly, I'm not sure we 
beat Ole Miss at home without Parker Brown. Uh, he really had a strong game, um, points, rebounds, assists. He's kind of doing it all. Um, and he definitely showed those those flashes of athleticism whenever he was playing. So, And his playing time was a bit of a mystery. Um, I thought he was a guy that could have played more um, and deserved maybe a little bit more playing time, especially at a position where we didn't really have a solid production all year. So... Um, and there's definitely been some rumors going around, um, you know, about what his future might look like. Uh, I don't, th- you know, I don't love to speculate on, you know, on individuals, but, you know, if he's, if he decides to transfer out of Missouri, it probably wouldn't shock me. Um, you know, it's just common sense. You know, he's a guy who's talented and knows he's talented and didn't get as much playing time as he probably thinks he should get and probably didn't get as much playing time as his family thinks he should get. So, uh, but at this point, he's still on the roster. So I ho- I hope that he stays. I think he could turn up turn out uh, being a pretty good player. Yeah, you talk about that Ole Miss game. Uh, he played 24 minutes in that game, and his uh, season high outside of that game was 11 against Moorhead State. Um, and he had six points, uh, seven rebounds, two assists. So, like I said, kind of filling it up. And he it seemed like Conzo would insert him into the lineup when teams were pressing and they kind of used him as a press break outlet and that resulted in a few dunks um <laughs> including one technical foul for hanging on the rim which was questionable but yeah he probably hung on there a little bit too long yeah it's some um, pretty big plays against auburn wasn't it that yeah, he had auburn, like yeah. two two big dunks yeah. um obviously in a huge game yeah. yeah um let's uh stick with the freshman class and move on to trey jackson um We'll just keep with the theme of players that there are playing time questions. Um, maybe there's definitely uh, sections of the fan base that think Trey Jackson should have played a lot more than he did. And at times I would consider myself one of those people. But again, maybe I do this to a fault, but I kind of lean on you know the coaching staff that they're just probably making the right choice. And um one thing that maybe I disagree with them on is when the defense was not good anyway, what harm is it in having Trey Jackson out there just to try to make a few plays on offense? Because um, it's not like you're playing lockdown defense with, with him on the bench. Yeah, I agree. Um, in a season that was already a bit of a, 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 bit of a disappointment, um, what's to lose in getting some uh, young guys, some experience, especially a guy like Trey, uh, who I think has a bright future, has a high ceiling, a lot like freshman season Xavier Penson, um, a guy that has the potential to really put up some nice numbers for you whenever it clicks for him. And if you get him some experience early, that click might come a little sooner um, that, rather than later. So I agree with you. I agree with most people that wanted a more playing time for him. Um, it really didn't make sense why he wouldn't get thrown out there a little bit more. Um, kind of on the flip side of that, a guy who was more polished and uh, uh, apparently on the defensive end doing the things that Conzo uh, wanted to see was Kobe Brown because he uh, played a ton and actually started 26 games uh, his freshman season. Yeah, I would say Kobe brought more to the table than I thought he would. Um, you know, he's he is polished, but he's not, you know, super athletic. He's not ultra talented um but you know so sometimes the game can uh take a little while for those kind of recruits to to get used to the speed of the college game and the athleticism uh that you play against but 
Um, and so I definitely thought there would be there could be a learning curve for Kobe, but um, I was impressed at how quickly he came in and kind of, you know, seems very intelligent and a high ba- basketball IQ. Just kind of knew his role immediately and um, played hard and, and brought a lot of uh, unique minutes to the team that you know that we needed production from that spot. Yeah, he's listed at six seven two forty, and I just thought that he played big. Like, yeah, I would. You know, for him to be like considered a wing player, I guess, uh, combo forward, you know, there's lots of different ways to classify basketball positions in 2020. Um, I saw him as like a traditional four. I mean, he played big. He, you know, didn't get pushed around down low. He finished above the rim. Um, He was not a great shooter. So I didn't really want him out on the perimeter that much. Um, and his his defensive rebounding, he was uh, it was the eighth in the SEC in defensive rebounding percentage, and he only played forty three percent of his available minutes. Um, so maybe small sample size, you could say that that would drop a little bit. But he still quali- he played enough minutes to qualify um, for the conference ranks, and he was eighth in in defensive rebounding percentage. And uh, that's something that when Tillman and Mark Smith are out multiple games, they're a big part of their roles was rebounding and for him mm-hmm. to step up and contribute in that way, I thought was pretty huge. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, this is just the kind of recruit that I think uh, Missouri has to build a program around as these four year guys that, you know, you, they're probably not going to leave early for the NBA. Um, and hopefully, you know, you can hold on to them and they're going to continue to uh, get better over their career. And uh, when they're, by the time they're a junior or senior, they're having really productive years and, um, I, I think that Missouri just has to make its money off of, you know, guys like Kobe Brown. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, next two guys I'm going to kind of lump in together. Uh, they're both sophomores and those two guys are Torrance Watson and Javon Pickett. Um, maybe, you know, a lot of people say that the biggest jump you're going to see in a, in a player's ability is from their freshman to their sophomore season. And, I don't know. Maybe both of these guys are a little bit closer to their ceilings than uh, than we wanted to admit last year. Yeah, and obviously when I when I was talking about Kobe Brown being the kind of the four year player that you want to build a program around, um, you know, I, I can't help but think Javon Pickett and Torrance Watson are the kind of players too, but just haven't lived up the potential that you know, we, we thought they might be able to do. And it's funny because Javon Pickett um, came in at a higher point his freshman year than I think any of us expected. I mean, it just leveled out. And then Torrance Watson has just kind of been all over the place and hasn't really ever been what we thought he could be. Um, he, sh- he really showed flashes at the end of last year, but wasn't able to keep that going into this year. So... Um, yeah, it's it's just interesting. Honestly, some of the biggest question marks, really, out of anybody on this on this roster has has been those two. Obviously, pretty local guys, guys we've been rooting for um, at times. You know, I've really loved to see Javon Pickett out there on the floor, and other times I'm like, just get him off the floor, get somebody else out there, because he just is so athletically limited, and um, sometimes it feels like he can't do anything. You know, so yeah, with Pickett, it's like. You're exactly right. I mean, you'll see him just make the perfect play and, you know, understand it. Sometimes it seems like he understands his athletic limitations perfectly and will just kind of make the crafty play to get the bucket or um, 
or whatever he needs to do. But then there's other times where you'll just see him kind of, you know, not elevate well and just get his shot rejected. And it's like, man, what did you think was going to happen there when you just didn't get off the ground and just kind of, you know, put up this layup that, you know, it had no chance right. of, of really of, of going in when you're, when you're not elevating and just trying to dunk it, which is um, maybe not something that very many Mizzou players can do. We talked about Trey Jackson earlier. He is one that can do that. Kobe Brown as well. So maybe just that a little bit of extra athleticism and height would go a long way for Javon. But um, both of these guys could do a better job shooting the three ball. Um, yeah. Pickett actually ended with a ended the season with a better three point shooting percentage than Watson. Um, Watson made 34 threes on the season. 13 of those came in two games. Uh, the game that I went to Chicago state, he was eight of 13, which was the new Mizzou arena record. I believe eight made threes by single player. Um, and then against West Virginia, he was five of eight. And, um, a lot of those came in garbage time cause Missouri lost by 23, but, he shows at times, you know, his shot looks so pretty yeah. and it's so easy for him to get shots up. And when they go in, it's just, you know, beautiful. But then yeah, he'll have back-to-back games where he's like, you know, in a, in a five game stretch, he'll be three for 21 or something. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're exactly right. And I think that's what makes me fall in love with his potential is just because his shot his the his form is so beautiful and uh, it just looks like he's such a natural shooter but um, it just doesn't go in that often sometimes and um, I don't know if it's we talked about it so much I don't know if it's a confidence thing I don't know if he's just not as good as we thought he was going to be um, he came from uh, not a pretty lower level of competition in in high school so yeah, class three yeah I think he kind of was able to do whatever he wanted in high school and he scored a lot of his points you know um, in the paint and at the at the free throw line and that's been the complete opposite player he's been at Missouri yeah yeah and when he does that everybody's like oh wow is that something that he's gonna start doing from now on and man it does seem like he's trying at times but it just yeah. it just hasn't been consistent mm-hmm. um let's see here. Um, we, we've talked plenty about Xavier Penson, but one thing I did want to point out real quick. Uh, let's see here. Um, Penson in conference play was second in the SEC in possessions used, percentage of possessions used at 31.5. He was also third in the SEC in percentage of shots at 30.6 so when you're in the 30s in arena around 30 percent in possessions used that's pretty high and for him to be second in the conference um of course turnovers factor into that statistic but i just wanted to point out that um you know he was a different player in conference season yeah absolutely for sure is his usage was was ridiculous in that in conference season for sure. Uh, let's see here. Mitchell Smith, uh, one of my three on three team members. Um, he was put into a role in the starting lineup. Uh, let me see how many games he ended up starting for Missouri this year. 13. 
Um, that's more than Jeremiah Tillman and more than Xavier Pinson. So, yeah, Mitchell was. Um, I think that it's easy for the fans to just a casual fan to think that Mitchell Smith didn't have much of a role on the team and he was just kind of an afterthought. But I, you know, I think if you watched Mizzou basketball a little closer, you probably have an appreciation for him. And um, and maybe some guys find this title um, a little bit disrespectful or, or don't really like to be called this, you know, it's kind of like calling a quarterback, a game manager, but I really do think that a great description of Mitchell Smith was just kind of a glue guy. And, you know, he kind of did a lot of the little things and, um, kind of brought some gritty toughness to the team, played good defense, uh, moved well for, for his size, you know, and I, I really think that um, that role will continue to be there for him next year too. Um, just playing tough minutes. And I don't know, he's, he's probably never going to be a volume scorer or volume shooter, but, you know, really brought some, uh, some good minutes at times this season. Uh, I think he had pretty close to the best offensive rating, um, according, according to Ken Palm, of anybody on the Missouri team. Um, he actually shot a better percentage from three than the two guys we just talked about, Torrance Watson and Javon Pickett. He matched Drew Smith's uh, three-point percentage. And in conference play, he was actually 16th in the SEC at about 37% from three. How many attempts did he have? 38 in those in the season and conference play 68 gotcha. on the season yeah i mean that's definitely value um that he's adding there um had some really big shots in the alabama game i think he was three for three um so i, think I, one I of those got turned into a two but okay but definitely um that's that's valuable when when you can add um th- somewhat reliable three-point shooting from a guy of his size and someone that can play on the inside too. Um, he definitely brought some versatility to the team. And also just entertainment value. Uh, you know, he was, he got fired up uh, pretty easily and often. And especially after he would take a charge. <laughs> yeah. You'd love to see that for sure. And I'm sure his teammates and coaches do too. So this next guy, I was really looking forward to maybe, you know, kind of asserting himself as, one of the better players in the SEC. And obviously, um, injury kind of derailed Mark Smith's season a bit. But he's still, he still is the player that we think he's capable of being. It's just, you know, trying to get that consistency, and it's mainly because of injuries with him. Yeah, I still think that his game ended up being just a little bit more one-dimensional than I had hoped to see out of him this year. Um, and again, there's like you said, injuries and, and things that happen. But um, I, I'm not sure that I could ever see Mark Smith being a all-conference type player just because of, it seems like, almost his unwillingness to do anything other than uh, hang around the three-point line and shoot threes, in which he's very good at, um, especially in games where the competition's not as good <laughs> and in garbage time. But, um, you know, I still... I feel like I, I I wanted to see probably more meaningful shots and more meaningful games from Mark Smith than we saw this year. Yeah, and I don't know if his size is holding him back a little bit as far as you know him scoring, driving to the basket, but I don't know. It just seems like 
he has the athleticism, um, I think. But actually, even Konzo said, you know, he's not really the type of guy to go up and dunk on somebody. Yeah. So. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's definitely not a huge guy. He's probably what six yeah. three. The well, he's listed at six five, which is the same as Javon Pickett, and I would not say that they're those two guys are the same height. <laughs> so. Probably not. No. Um. I still think you know we could see big things from him next year. It kind of. You know, I have mixed thoughts every time I talk about or I think about like a uh, player redshirting. Um, you know, he could have redshirted um, uh, the first season, you know, with Missouri and uh, not played immediately last year. And then, you know, we'd have an extra season out of him. What would be what would be the benefit of that in the long run? I'm not exactly sure, but um you know, when a team has kind of a down season and we could have redshirted a guy and we waste, you know, wasted a season of his eligibility, not getting to the NCAA tournament, it always kind of makes me wish that we could have him for another season. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it it would have been nice if he just committed to Missouri from the get-go yeah. out of high school. Um, too. It would have been, uh, I, you know, I was really happy when he... Um, announced he was transferring to Missouri and I still am really glad that we got him I think he's um, brings something to the table that you know we've needed the last couple of years and especially last year it felt like he um, shot the ball really well um, but I, I agree that um, with one more season to go I, I think he has the ability to kind of be our knockdown shooter that we can rely on um, just would like to see it happen a little bit more outside of garbage time and and against him inferior opponents yeah and not to just uh drudge this old memory back up every time but um you know that was supposed to be jonte porter's sophomore season and you know mark smith's sophomore season so him being declared eligible um sounded great when we thought jonte was going to be playing at full strength and you know that would have been a perfect piece to the puzzle but obviously that's not how it went um jeremiah tillman you know, I wish I wish he would have just been healthy all season just so we know what that would have looked like. Because it's kind of hard to judge this season for him since he didn't play as much as we expected. And even when he was healthy towards the end of the season, they still uh, limited his minutes quite a bit. Yeah. So I don't know. It's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to judge a season because, you know, it was so uh, kind of back and forth. It's true. And... Um, you know, it's been a little bit disappointing to follow him consider, uh, you know, over his Missouri career, consi- um, considering I think his best play came in his freshman year. Uh, I don't know if that was just because the team around him was probably the best it's been. And he just had, you know, good passers around him. And if he was just confident and carefree, um, and now that his role has increased and that he's being more heavily rep- relied upon, Maybe, I don't know, it makes him nervous or he's thinking about it more. But And obviously the fouls, too. I mean, that's just been one of the biggest uh, issues of his whole time at Mizzou. Probably but, like the most uh, common talking point in Mizzou basketball for the last three seasons. Yeah, literally. Outside of the name Porter. Yeah, and uh, but when he came back from injury at the end of this season, um, you know, I think he got some of those things under control. I think he, I think he looked like he was uh, – 
playing a little bit more economically, if you will. I think he was, you know, making smarter decisions and he wasn't fouling as much. And, um, you know, he kind of, I think against Alabama, he really put up some nice stats and almost quietly um, felt like he wasn't really there, but he put up some really nice numbers in that last game. So, you know, that's just kind of what you can do when you're as talented as him um, is you can help out in so many ways without really even noticing him that much i think yeah and i think uh, him kind of anchoring the defense definitely helped in the alabama game mm-hmm. um you mentioned just like if his play was like almost peaked his freshman year and i think when you go back and look at the highlight um highlight videos of mizzou wins that season uh, there were plenty of them and it's really fun to watch those but the highlights for tillman that's he's basically the exact same player that he was at that, at that point in time. I mean, you yeah. see the plays that he's making at that time and you're like, yep, that's the same guy. And the struggles that he had at that time are still present to this day. So, yeah, it's kind of this, the same stuff. I mean, shows flashes was just incredible footwork and um, how well he can move um, and how athletic he is, but um, definitely never really developed much of a shot outside of just dunking everything and, and putting in layups, which is fine. If that's what he is really good at doing, then I'm com- perfectly content with uh, him just owning that, that role. But um, yeah, you're exactly right. He kind of is the exact same player. Yeah. Uh, and maybe he's best off when he's, you know, splitting time at the five with a guy like the guy we're going to talk about right now, Reed Nico. Um, he had uh, his senior day, against Alabama so uh, we talked uh, about him quite a bit there and we actually uh, broke off that segment and put it up on YouTube if anybody wants to watch that Um, we talked about him just kind of owning his role at Missouri basically his entire time there and not nobody it was kind of the perfect situation where nobody had basically any expectations for him to be anything more than he was so when he performed well it was it was kind of a surprise but um you know, he was just kind of outperforming expectations every time he took the floor. Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, when expectations aren't super high, it was yeah. it was easy for him to outperform yeah. um, what we thought he could do pretty much every time, every game. And uh, he actually saw some starts himself uh, with Tillman being out. Um, if you're keeping track at home, you might notice that I went kind of freshman through senior, but I skipped a guy. Um, I skipped Drew Smith. Uh, because I wanted to mention him specifically at the end here as, in my opinion, uh, Missouri, Missouri's most important player uh, this season. And you talk about Tillman being out and Mark Smith being out and how that hurt Missouri. Uh, you talk about Xavier Pinson kind of coming into his own and becoming a player we weren't, we didn't really know that he was capable of. Um, but Drew Smith kind of quietly just went about his business and played hurt and made shots, you know, found his open teammates, played excellent defense, was robbed of an all-defensive SEC uh, team nomination. But um, I left him for the end here because, in my opinion, he's, he was the most important player. And um, I think even with the excitement that Penson brought, Drew Smith is the guy I'm most excited for uh, returning next season. Yeah, I think I agree with you. He was definitely the MVP of Missouri season. And I, I say this definitely with respect and as a compliment, but he was definitely, 
the closest, I think, from what our expectations were for a player to what actually happened. Um, because we knew we were going to have to rely on him a lot, and he was going to have to come in and lead the team and kind of be the uh, all-around player that he was uh, on defense and offensively. Um, he kind of did it all, and we were kind of expecting him to do that. Yeah, we talked maybe halfway through the season, you know, a little bit into SEC play when Mizzou was struggling, that we wanted him to take more shots, and especially three-point shots, and maybe just be a little bit more aggressive on offense. Um, he ha- he's got that, uh, you know, his offense in the paint, you know, his kind of like pump fake pivot foot game that Jordan Geist perfected. Mm-hmm. I mean, Drew Smith, he's got it down. I mean, he doesn't, oh, yeah. he, he's got that, you know, that part of his game is perfect. Um, him pulling the trigger more from deep and just being a little bit more aggressive on offense is something that we wanted. And we did see that a bit more, um, it was basically he and Xavier Pinson running the show on offense and putting up the majority of the points for several games there uh, in the last you know quarter of the season. And even though he didn't shoot it as well from three as he did at Evansville, um, considerably, actually a considerable drop-off there um, from his sophomore season in Evansville uh, to this past year, um, I think maybe that could be a confidence thing. It seemed like he was maybe a little bit too ready to pass up an open look um, and, uh, you know, give an opportunity to a, t- to a teammate. So maybe he gets a little bit more confidence. And Conzo uh, did talk about in a couple interviews just him always being shot ready. And maybe that's something they work on in the off season. But um, that shoring up that little aspect of his game, I think, would just maybe he'll be on people's radar now for those all sec teams next season. Yeah, I think he, uh, I think he just understood how big his role was at Evansville. Like if you think that he was the man at Missouri, it was much more so even at Evansville. Um, I remember seeing him play, uh, live at, uh, Missouri state, um, his sophomore year. And he truly was, he was the guy who was running the show. He took a lot of shots because he knew that I'm the best player in this team. And, you know, he's definitely had better talent around him at Missouri, so maybe he just wanted to get his teammates more involved, knew that his uh, role probably wasn't going to be quite as large as it was at Evansville, but <clears throat> still, with that being said, he was definitely the uh, the uh, main contributor, I think. And it's just funny to, to think, as far as our expectations, what the strengths of this team would be. Um, you know, probably three-point shooting, and we thought a weakness would probably be scoring on the inside. Um, and that definitely being ended up being flipped. Uh, you know, Drew Smith and Xavier, Xavier Pinson were so good at, at finishing inside and scoring in the paint and getting in the lane. And um, I don't think any, any of us really saw that being a strength of the team. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned his time at Evansville. He also had uh, Ryan Taylor, I think was his name, who was just an absolute knockdown three-point shooter. And yep. yeah, those two combined were shooting like, you know, regularly between 12 and 18 three-pointers in a single yeah. game, just between those two guys. Yeah, and I think uh, his teammate ended up transferring to a higher level as well. I was actually going to look up and see where he ended up, just because yeah. I was kind of curious. I don't remember off the top of my head. At the time, I actually really wanted him uh and I didn't really know much about Drew Smith. I wanted Ryan Taylor for his um, three-point shooting. Mm-hmm. And he I actually ended he... up... He's Go at ahead. Northwestern. Okay. Interesting. 
how did how did he do this season or did he uh uh was he not, a grad transfer uh yes he was a grad transfer yes so he actually played last season um not the one that just finished <laughs> mm-hmm. um he played 65% of minutes, uh, offensive rating of only 97, um, and a drop-off in three-point shooting, uh, 33% on 180 attempts. Still yeah, good. whenever you uh, go, when you move up in conferences, you start playing uh, more athletic defenses, and uh, you face more length on the perimeter, so I'm sure it makes it even harder to shoot um, three-pointers. Yeah, and Northwestern was in an incredibly tough uh, Big Ten conference, but they were not that great this year. Um, finished with only four conference wins, but obviously. What about uh, uh, season before? They were pretty. They made the tournament that year, didn't they? When he was there. Uh, you're talking about the season he played. No, that was uh, the 18-19 season, and okay. that, that was the one they only had uh, gotcha. four four conference wins. Uh, 2017, they were pretty good and made the uh, NCAA tournament as a okay. eight seed. Gotcha. Um, well, we got that out of the way. Most, I I called it most important player, but yeah, MVP of the season for me is Drew Smith. For sure. Um, looking just ahead slightly to next season, um, do you think that they'll continue to start, uh, Drew Smith and Xavier Penson together? Yeah, yeah, I think so. They just, they really showed some incredible chemistry, I think, at the end of the year, um, probably the two most important players on the team, at least at this point in time. I, I really don't see any way they don't both start next year. I mean, it would be, obviously, that would be like the common thing that the, the fans would want is both of those guys back on the court at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, you think Tillman's back for his senior year? I think so. Um, and that's not really based on anything factual, but um, I, I think he'll be back for another another year. I think that things ended... Um, a little disappointingly for him down this year, I, I think that he'll want to come back and, and improve on this season for his senior year. So if uh, Smith and Penson are starting, do you think they'll try to slide Mark Smith to the three or bring him off the bench? That's a good question. Um, I wouldn't be shocked to see Mark Smith be the sixth man, honestly. Um, I, I think that I could see a starting lineup being... Drew Smith, Xavier Benson, Kobe Brown, maybe Trey Jackson and, and uh, Jeremiah Tillman. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I could see that. I could see Smith, Penson, Pickett, Brown, Tillman, or mm-hmm. maybe Mitchell Smith instead of Brown at the four. Yeah. Um, they, or maybe they slide uh, Mark Smith in there. I don't know. Um, I wouldn't really be surprised uh, to see any of those combinations. Yeah, maybe not in the starting lineup even necessarily, but I would like to see that lineup at least used at times in games, you know, yeah. with um kind of go small. Yeah, go small a little bit and just have maybe you would assume an uptick in offensive efficiency while still having an excellent defender on the court in in Mark Smith and Drew Smith. Yeah. Um well, Kyle, I think this went okay. I I think uh, we've recapped the season pretty thoroughly here. Um, we didn't have any real technical issues. Um, Drew, how, what do you think? Uh, Drew, did everything go okay in your opinion? 
I was hoping maybe somebody would be able to bobble his head, but I guess he's out of reach. Uh, not today. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, uh, Drew, Drew maybe fell asleep up there. Sorry, Drew. Um, yeah, I think it went pretty well. Um, we'll see how long we actually have to do this because uh, it, it probably will be for the next uh, couple of weeks probably that we might have to get creative here. But uh, we'll see how well it uploads to all services. But it yep. um, seems like everything's going pretty well. Yeah, we may tweak a few things if we uh, can figure anything out to make it a little bit better. But yeah, yeah I think uh, so far so good. Hopefully everybody is... Uh, Staying safe and healthy out there. Um, I don't know. We, you, the listeners, you guys mean a lot to us, so we're uh, happy to have you guys and um, got a good community of, of people for sure. So appreciate everybody that's listening. And yeah, we're uh, happy to give yeah. you that that quarantine content. Yeah. <laughs> Most accessible. We are the. We still are the most successful, successful and accessible podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Kyle, you want to tell them where they can find us? Oh yeah, yes. You can find uh, us on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or on Twitter at Missouri Sports Pod, and you can email us at Missouri Sports Pod at gmail.com. And if you want to see this uh, Skype call, you know, as we are seeing it right now, you can head on over to YouTube. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at C underscore Albert 08. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We will see you next week.